Hey, baseball fans. I'm Matt Russell, and this is Three Strikes, You're Out, the baseball history podcast. We have a great one this week, one that all Red Sox fans will know and love. It is Hall of Fame left fielder Carl Yastrzemski, the great Yaz. You might have trouble spelling his last name, but Y-A-Z is really all you need to remember. As an aside, I want to dedicate this show to my buddy and true Red Sox fan, Mike McGill, who is recovering from back surgery. Get well soon, buddy. So let's get to it. Batter up! Carl Michael Yastrzemski, nicknamed Yaz, spent his entire 23-year Major League career with the Boston Red Sox, playing from 1961 through 1983. Burdened with replacing one of the all-time greats in the Boston outfield, none other than Ted Williams himself, he went on to carve out his own iconic Hall of Fame career, setting many records along the way. He was primarily a left fielder, but also played 33 games as a third baseman and later in his career switched over to first base and designated hitter. Among his many accomplishments, he is an 18-time All-Star. He is a winner of seven gold gloves, all in the outfield. He is the first American League player to make the 3,000-hit club and also hit over 400 home runs. He is second on the all-time list for games played and third for total at-bats. He is the Red Sox all-time leader in career RBIs, runs, hits, singles, doubles, total bases, and games played, and is third on the team's list for home runs behind Ted Williams and recently retired David Big Poppy Ortiz. In 1967, Yastrzemski achieved a peak in his career, leading the Red Sox to the American League pennant for the first time in over two decades and being voted the 1967 American League MVP. This became known as the Impossible Dream season. Yastrzemski also won the Triple Crown that year, one of the rarest feats in batting. For a quick refresher, the Triple Crown means the hitter has the highest batting average, is the RBI leader, and is the home run leader in their league. It would take 45 years for another player to reach that milestone in the major leagues. Now, a quick quiz. Who is that player? Do you need a hint? It was in 2012. How about another hint? He plays for the Detroit Tigers. Do you have it yet? Bing! Time's up! It was the great Miguel Cabrera. There have been only five Triple Crown winners since 1942, all in the American League. Ted Williams, of course twice, 1942 and 1947, Mickey Mantle, 1956, Frank Robinson, 1966, Yaz, 1967, and Miguel Cabrera, 2012. So that is some elite company that Yaz was keeping. Carl Yastrzemski was born August 22, 1939 to Carl Yastrzemski Sr. and Hattie Skonitsny in Southampton, New York. He grew up in nearby Bridgehampton, Long Island, population 3000, where he often played alongside his father in local semi-pro games. Yaz's father and his uncle Tommy owned an inherited 70-acre potato farm. Their work a, quote, legacy from Poland, folks coming over here and doing what they knew from the old country, unquote, Yaz's father recalled. In his first of two autobiographies, Yaz wrote, quote, 
I'm told that when I was 18 months old, my dad got me a tiny baseball bat, which I dragged around wherever I went, the way other babies drag blankets or favorite toys. I vaguely remember playing catch with him as a very small boy, but my first clear memory is hitting tennis balls in the backyard against his pitching after supper every night when I was about six. Later, we played make-believe ball games between the Yankees and the Red Sox, my two favorite teams, unquote. Yaz's dad loved baseball. He might have tried to make it in baseball himself, reportedly having offers from both the Dodgers and the Cardinals, but was reluctant to leave the potato fields of Long Island to try baseball during the Depression. Before Carl was born, Carl Yastrzemski Sr. formed a semi-pro baseball team, the Bridgehampton White Eagles. He played shortstop and managed the team. It was almost entirely a family team, with Carl Sr.'s four brothers on the team, as well as two brothers-in-law and three cousins. The team played on Sundays, and did so for years. So baseball ran deep in the Yastrzemski family, even before Carl was born. By the time Carl himself was seven, he was the team's bat boy, his first job in baseball. He first played for the team at age 14, which was young for a semi-pro player. Even at age 40, Carl's father was still the guts of the ball club, a good shortstop, and the best hitter on the team. His father played with drive and determination, but channeled his baseball ambitions into his son Carl. Still playing and out hitting his son at age 41, Carl's dad was doing it for his son. The younger Yaz wrote, quote, I could tell the only reason he played was on account of me, just as that had been the only reason he kept the White Eagles alive for so long, unquote. From the very date the younger Carl signed his first pro contract, the elder Yastrzemski never played again, but the memory lasted. Yaz recalled, quote, I loved his spirit and intensity when I played alongside him, unquote. Yaz attracted a lot of attention playing ball on Long Island, his last couple of years in high school, he played semi-pro ball for Lake Ronkonkoma, a team based about 60 miles from home. His father played for this team too, always after work on the farm was done. It was around this time that Carl's father began to boost him as a batter more than as a pitcher. Even though at a major league tryout camp for the Milwaukee Braves, Carl faced nine batters and struck out all nine. The younger Yaz had the chance to sign on with a major league team before he even got out of high school. But Carl's dad had his eyes set on a sizable bonus and had been prepared to turn down offers he saw as inadequate. At the start of his senior year, Carl's dad told his high school coach that Carl would not be playing football that year. There was too great a risk of injury, and that might hamper his development as a baseball player. While Yaz was still a senior in high school, the New York Yankees made a pitch. Though not allowed to sign Yastrzemski to an actual contract until after he graduated high school, Yankee scout Ray Garland was still welcomed into the household to talk hypotheticals. He traded bonus numbers with Carl's father, writing $60,000 on a piece of paper at the dining room table. Carl's dad wrote out $100,000. Garland reacted dramatically, flipping his pencil in the air and hitting the ceiling as he exclaimed, $100,000? Are you crazy? The Yankees will never pay that. The Yankees never got the opportunity, despite even owner Dan Topping becoming involved. The elder Yaz told Garland, quote, Nobody throws a pencil in my house. Get the hell out and never come back, unquote. That was it for the New York Yankees. Man, I love that story. 
Red Sox scout Frank Botts Nicola had had his eye on Carl since he was a sophomore in high school. He never threw any pencils in the Yastrzemski household, but he wasn't coming up with $100,000 either. And so Carl's father sent his son off to college. They'd fielded full scholarship offers from a number of colleges, but chose Notre Dame, where he played on a scholarship that was half baseball and half basketball. Yaz completed his freshman year without playing on the varsity team, but then the offers got more serious, even exceeding $100,000. The Red Sox didn't make the largest offer, but the admiration of the local parish priest for Tom Yockey counted for a lot, and Yaz's father wanted him playing for an East Coast team not too far from home. Yaz signed with the Red Sox in November 1958 for a $108,000 bonus and their agreement to cover the rest of his college education. Red Sox GM Joe Cronin then met Yaz for the first time and saw a 5'11", 160-pound kid. He couldn't help himself blurting out, We're paying this kind of money for this guy? The first of many spring training camps began in 1959, and Carl was assigned to the Raleigh Capitals in the Carolina League, a Class B team. The team switched him from shortstop to second base. He was struggling at the plate until manager Ken Deal got him in the box and told him to move up on the plate so he wasn't lunging at balls on the outer half of the plate. He ended up batting close to 400 for the rest of the year. After Raleigh's season was over, he was invited to come to Fenway Park, not to play ball, but to look in on the ball club. Ted Williams greeted him and told him, quote, Don't let them screw around with your swing, ever, unquote. Some of Carl's teammates on the Raleigh team saw the influence of Carl's father in his son's drive for success. Former Red Sox catcher Russ Gibson remembered one time early on, quote, Yaz and myself and two other guys shared an apartment in Raleigh, North Carolina when his dad came for a visit. We were all just starting out, but Yaz was hitting about 390 at the time. We all went off to play golf while Yaz visited with his father. When we got back, all his things were gone. When I asked Yaz what had happened, he said, quote, My dad thinks I'm distracted living with you guys. He's moved me into an apartment by myself, unquote. Now there is definitely a dad looking out for his son. Yaz then went on to Minneapolis to join the Millers as they entered the American Association playoffs. The first time he faced AAA pitching, he went 7 for 18 in the six games it took to win the title. In February of 1960, Carl and his new wife, Carol, headed to Scottsdale so he could train with the big league ball club. Carl lockered right next to Ted Williams, but Ted rarely spoke to him. The main thing Carl learned from 41-year-old Teddy Ballgame was how hard he prepared himself to play ball. The Red Sox had Pete Runnels at second base, who would go on to win the batting title in 1960. So they sent Carl back to the minors for one more year to train him to play left field and get him ready to take over for Williams. Williams was expected to retire after the 1960 season. Yastrzemski batted 339 for Minneapolis, just missing out on the batting title by three points, and began to show some skill in the outfield, recording 18 assists. The following season, Ted Williams retired. Both the baton and the burden of replacing the great slugger was passed to Carl Michael Yastrzemski. Opening day 1961 was April 11th at Fenway Park, and there was Yastrzemski playing left field and batting fifth. Replacing Williams in left field and in the hearts of Boston Red Sox fans was a huge task for any player, 
let alone a 21-year-old with two years of professional baseball experience. Williams was a larger-than-life figure on and off the field and had played for the Red Sox since 1939. Yeah, single to left his first time up, but ended the day one for five. His first and second homers came in back-to-back games on May 9th and 10th, but all in all, he struggled at the plate. Yaz remembered, I started off very slow. I actually think that was on account of Ted. I was trying to emulate him, be a home run hitter, and not be myself, just an all-around player. I could never be a Ted Williams as far as hitting was concerned. When Yaz struggled, the Sox asked Ted to interrupt his fishing and come pay a visit. Williams agreed, and watched Yaz take extra batting practice. He told Yaz he had a great swing, and to just go out and use it. Yaz said, I think what dawned on me was that there can be a great swing that is not a home run swing at the same time. Yaz batted two sixty six in his rookie year with 11 homers and 80 RBIs, a good first year once he'd gotten back on track. There was no sophomore slump. Yastrzemski increased his average to two ninety six with 19 homers, 43 doubles, and 94 RBIs. His third year, he made the All-Star team for the first time, and improved dramatically again to win the American League batting championship with a 321 average. He led the league in base hits, doubles, walks, and on-base percentage. All the while, Yastrzemski was improving in left field, honing the solid defensive play that he is remembered for today. In fact, he became a far superior defensive player to Ted Williams with a strong arm and an expert at playing the ball off the green monster, Fenway Park's left field wall. In 12 years as a left fielder, Yastrzemski won seven gold gloves and led in assists seven times. He continued to add to his totals, again making the All-Star team in 1965 and 1966. In 1965, he accomplished one of the rarest of hitting feats. Yaz hit for the cycle in the May 14th game with an extra home run thrown in for good measure. Later that year, Yaz even faced Satchel Paige, who had come back to pitch one last time at age 59. Incredible. Page threw three innings and gave up only one hit. To Yaz. And there was one final accomplishment in 1966. Yaz fulfilled a promise to his parents by finishing his degree at Merrimack College in North Andover, Massachusetts. Yaz's first six seasons in the major leagues had established him as one of the star players in the game but his 1967 season would propel Yaz to a place among the elite players in the history of the game. One of the big differences in 1967, Yaz recalled, is that I was able to work out the preceding winter. In earlier years, I was finishing up my college work, but I had completed my degree at Merrimack College, so I had time to focus on my conditioning. I reported to spring training in great shape. By the time the 1967 All-Star Game rolled around, Yaz was among the top five in the American League in batting average, home runs, and runs batted in. The Red Sox were only six games out of first place at the All-Star break, and it was clear that the team had as good a shot at the American League pennant as anyone. The 1967 Red Sox, who rebounded from a ninth-place finish a year before, held fans spellbound all summer and into the fall, as a battle for first place in the most exciting pennant race in American League history, which is now known as the Impossible Dream Season. Their thrilling win over the Minnesota Twins on the last day of the season touched off one of the great celebrations in Boston history. While a different Red Sox hero seemed to emerge daily, 
The one constant was Yaz. Former teammate George Scott remembers it this way, quote, Yaz hit 44 homers that year, and 43 of them meant something big for the team. It seemed like every time we needed a big play, the man stepped up and got it done, unquote. In the final 12 games of the season, crunch time, Carl Yastrzemski had 23 hits in 44 at-bats. That's a 523 average, folks, driving in 16 runs and scoring 14. He hit 10 homers in his final 100 at-bats of 1967. He had 10 hits in his last 13 at-bats. And when it came to the last two games with the Twins, with the Sox needing to win both games to help avert a tie for the pennant, Yaz went 7-for-8 and drove in six runs. 7-for-8? Amazing. Yaz tore it up in the World Series also, batting an even 400, 10-for-25, with three home runs and five RBIs in the World Series against the St. Louis Cardinals. But the Red Sox lost three times to the unstoppable Bob Gibson, including Game 7, thus ending a fantastic 1967 season. Afterward, Yaz came within one vote of a unanimous selection as the most valuable player of the American League. He was selected by Sports Illustrated as the 1967 Sportsman of the Year at year-end. Yaz led the league in hits, 189, runs, 112, total bases, 360, and slugging percentage, not to mention on-base percentage. His on-base plus slugging, OPS, was 1.040. And he achieved baseball's triple crown, leading the American League in batting, 326, runs batted in, 121, and home runs, 44. And as I mentioned before, in all the baseball seasons that followed, no player had been able to match his triple crown feat until Miguel Cabrera did so in 2012, 45 years later. Woof! This was a year for the ages. In an article he co-wrote for the November 1967 issue of Sport Magazine, Yastrzemski credited Boston's remarkable season to manager Dick Williams and an infusion of youth, including Rico Petricelli and Tony Canigliaro. Referring to Williams, Yastrzemski wrote, quote, He got rid of all the individuality, made us into a team, gave us an incentive, and made us want to win, unquote. On a personal note, I find this statement very interesting because Dick Williams later managed the Oakland A's to their first two World Series wins in 1972 and 1973. And the A's were known for their individuality. I think they wrote the book on it. But this probably goes to show that great managers adapt to their team and personnel to allow different ways of winning. I have to say, Dick Williams is one of my all-time favorite managers. He was always a winner. In 1968, Yastrzemski again won the batting championship. Because of the competitive advantages pitchers enjoyed between 1963 and 1968, prior to the lowering of the pitcher's mound, Yastrzemski's 301 mark in the year of the pitcher is the lowest average of any batting champion in Major League history. However, he was the only hitter in the American League to hit 300 for that season, as well as leading the league in on-base percentage and walks. He had many more strong seasons, consistently finishing in the top 10 in the league in many statistical categories. In 1969, Yastrzemski enjoyed the first of two consecutive 40 home run seasons as he led the Red Sox to third place finishes that year and the next. He got four hits in the 1970 All-Star Game, tying the record, and won the All-Star Game MVP, even though the American League lost. 
He is one of only two players to win the All-Star Game MVP award despite playing for the losing team. Brooks Robinson was the other player to do that in 1966. Yastrzemski's 329 batting average that season was his career high, but he finished second behind the California Angels' Alex Johnson for the batting title by less than .001. In 1970, Yaz led the league in slugging and on-base percentage, finishing third in home runs. In February 1971, Carl Yastrzemski signed a three-year contract that was reported to pay him $500,000 over the three seasons. At that time, his contract was the largest in baseball history. Although he hit only 61 home runs over the next four years, 1971 through 1974, as the Red Sox finished second twice and third twice, he finished in the top 10 in batting and top three in on-base percentage and walks in 1973 and 1974 and led the league in runs scored in 1974. In the 1975 All-Star Game, Yastrzemski was called to pinch hit in the sixth inning with two men on base and the American League down three to nothing. Without wearing a batting helmet, he hit Tom Seaver's first pitch for a home run to tie the score. The three-run homer was the only scoring the American League did that night as they lost 6-3. Yaz had a subpar year in 1975, batting just 269 with 14 homers and 60 RBIs. But his play throughout the postseason reminded fans that he had always been at his best in clutch situations throughout his career. His stellar play in the field and at bat carried over to the American League Championship Series against Oakland. He was 5 for 11 with a home run and two RBIs, and to the World Series against the Cincinnati Reds. Although the Red Sox lost to the Reds in seven games in one of the greatest World Series ever played, Yaz had scored 11 runs and batted 350 during the 10 postseason games. As in 1967, the Red Sox fell just short. On May 19, 1976, Yastrzemski hit three home runs against the Detroit Tigers at Tiger Stadium. He then went to Yankee Stadium and hit two more, tying the major league record of five home runs in two consecutive games. On July 14, 1977, he notched his 2,655th hit, moving past Ted Williams as the all-time Red Sox base hit leader. In 1978, Yastrzemski, then 39, was one of the five oldest players in the league. The Red Sox battled throughout the season with the Yankees to a tie. During the 1978 American League East tiebreaker game, Yaz made the final out with a foul pop to third base. This game featured Bucky Dent's famous homer, although Reggie Jackson's home run was the eventual winning run. But earlier in the game, Yaz began the scoring with a home run off left-handed pitcher Ron Guidry, who was having a career year. With 25 wins, 3 losses, and an amazing 1.74 ERA, it was the only homer the Cy Young Award winner allowed to a left-hander all season. On September 12, 1979, Carl Yastrzemski achieved another milestone becoming the first American League player with 3,000 career hits and 400 home runs. In 1982, playing primarily as a designated hitter, an early season hitting streak placed him among the league's leading hitters and saw him featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated and playing in that year's All-Star Game. Yastrzemski retired in 1983 at the age of 44, although he stated in his autobiography Yaz that he was initially planning on playing the 1984 season until he tired from a long mid-season slump. 
He also stated that had he known how good Roger Clemens would have been as a pitcher, he would have played in 1984 to have had a chance to play with him. At his retirement, and currently, no player has had a longer career with only one team, 23 seasons, a record which he shares with Brooks Robinson of the Baltimore Orioles. His final career statistics include 3,308 games played, this is second all-time and the most with a single team, 646 doubles, 452 home runs, 1,844 RBIs, and a batting average of 285. He had 1,845 walks in his career and 1,157 extra base hits. Yastrzemski was the first player to ever collect over 3,000 hits and 400 home runs solely in the American League. This has since been accomplished by Cal Ripken Jr. He was named to the All-Star Game 18 times. Yastrzemski won three American League batting championships in his career. In addition, Yastrzemski only trails Ty Cobb and Derek Jeter in hits collected with a single team, and trails only Cobb, Jeter, and Tris Speaker in hits collected playing in the American League. Yastrzemski is also Fenway Park's all-time leader in hits, doubles, and RBIs. By the time of his retirement, he was the all-time leader in plate appearances, which has since been surpassed by Pete Rose. As one of the top players of his era, he was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1989, his first year of eligibility, with the support of 94% of voters. Notably, this makes him one of the few Hall of Famers to directly succeed another Hall of Famer, Ted Williams, at the same position. For his entire career with the Red Sox, he wore uniform number 8. The Red Sox retired this number on August 6, 1989, after Yastrzemski was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. In 1999, Yastrzemski ranked number 72 on the Sporting News list of the 100 Greatest Baseball Players. That same season, he was named a finalist to the Major League Baseball All-Century Team. Prior to his induction in the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1986, Karl Yastrzemski was inducted into the National Polish-American Sports Hall of Fame. On a personal note, I have one vivid memory of seeing Yaz at the Oakland Coliseum in about 1969. We were a little late to the game that day, for whatever reason, and were on the concourse that surrounds the ballpark on the right field side. We were about level with the second deck height-wise, so we were pretty far above the playing field. Suddenly, I heard a loud crack of the bat, and the crowd roared. I looked out towards center field, and I saw a ball rising majestically far above me, sailing out of the park, landing about two-thirds of the way up the bleachers in right center field. It was a mammoth shot that totally amazed me. And it was Yaz that hit it. Wow. That is a memory that still gives me goosebumps when I think about it. Needless to say, I was a fan from that day. Yastrzemski was well known for his batting stance, standing very tall, holding his bat exceptionally high, giving his swing a large, dramatic arc, unusually so for a well-known fastball hitter, and more power at the plate. It was a striking and intimidating stance to me. I bet many kids tried this stance during his playing years. I remember trying this as a kid, but it seemed to take too long to bring the bat down to the ball. For me, not for him. However, in his later years, he adjusted his stance and held the bat lower. He was also known for modifying his batting helmets by enlarging the right ear hole for comfort and removing part of the right ear flap for better vision of the ball as it was being pitched.
He also stood out for his cagey approach to the game. He would decoy opposing base runners with his left field play. On fly balls headed for Fenway's wall, he would line up as if about to make the catch just in front of the wall, waiting until the last possible minute before wheeling around to play the carom. This would fool base runners into tagging up, preventing them from taking an extra base. And if they tried anyway, his amazing handling of the bounce off the wall and accurate throwing arm were liable to make them pay the price. When the Red Sox won the World Series in 2004, Yaz, along with Johnny Pesky, raised the 2004 World Series Championship banner over Fenway Park. He is currently a roving instructor with the Red Sox and was honored by throwing out the first pitch in Game 1 of the 2004, 2007, and 2013 World Series. The Red Sox honored Yastrzemski with a statue of him outside Fenway Park on September 23, 2013. Through the end of the 2017 season, on the all-time lists for Major League Baseball, Yastrzemski ranks first for games played for one team, second for games played, third for at-bats, sixth for bases on balls, eighth for doubles, ninth for hits, ninth for total bases, 13th for extra base hits, and 14th for RBIs. Carl Yastrzemski, Yaz, is truly one of the all-time greats. Next time, Three Strikes You're Out will feature a big one, and I mean a really big one. The great Washington Senator slugger, Frank Howard. It should be fun. See you in the bleachers. Special mentions go out to the following. I would like to thank YouTuber Mr. Runner Holly, look him up, for his permission to use his cover of Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Awesome, man. I love it. Also, I have to mention the great internet baseball history resource, saber.org. That's S-A-B-R dot O-R-G. Or Society for American Baseball Research. I use this extensively for my shows and really love their well-written and researched articles. I recommend you take a look. You won't be sorry. For show notes and a list of sources I used for the show, or to make a comment, please visit my website, three strikes you're out.com. That's three strikes year y-e-r out.com. Also, if you get a chance, please review the podcast in the iTunes store app on your phone, tablet, or computer. Just look up the podcast name, click on ratings and reviews, then click on write a review. Any feedback would really help. Thanks.